Good morning, everyone. All right. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. All right. Jesus feeds the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them... If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Delmanutha. Delmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to you. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up then? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the word that you have spoken, that you have given us. Lord, your word is the foundation to our faith, Lord. Your word is truth. Your word brings light. Your word brings renewal and transformation. Lord, we ask this morning that as we come to you right now, as we come before you, we open our hearts to you. We ask that you will speak to us, Lord, and help us to hear what your Spirit is saying. And that, Lord, that our eyes will be fixed on you, our eyes will be able to see what you are showing us this morning. And we pray that your word, Lord, will be written onto the tablets of our hearts to bring about renewal and transformation from within. 
So we just want to commit this time to you even right now. We thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name we ask these. Amen. Amen. Blessed morning, everyone. I've been reminded by my daughter not to shout into the mic. <laughs> I just wanted you to know that actually I do have, I'm actually quite a soft-spoken guy. It's just that the, the sound guys have been very generous in their volume. Okay, good morning everyone. My name is Aaron, for those of you who do not know me, um, and good morning to those who are watching this sermon online as well. Now, I prefer not to call it a sermon because it is just a sharing that I would like to share with you. Um, for those who do not know me, uh, I come from Singapore, and I've been just in Perth for about a year and a half. My family's over there, the, my two daughters, I've got two daughters, and my wife is Yvonne. And, uh, yeah, and I'm a staff here at the Billabong. Now, I've been uh, given this passage by Luke, eight, uh, chapter 8, 1 to 21. Now, within this passage itself, there are three segments within it. You have got the feeding of the 4,000, you have the asking of a sign, and you've got the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. These are three separate sermons on its own. So, um, we would be here for three hours I've done my best to try to compress it, and I assure you, we should be done within two hours. <laughs> All right. Okay, now, Mark 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, 1 to 21. I'd just like you to know there is a parallel account of this feeding of the 4,000, the asking of the signs, and the yeast, the part about the leaven of, the, of Pharisees and of Herod of the Sadducees. And that's found in the book of Matthew, Chapter 15 and 16. I'll leave you to refer to that. I'd like to encourage you to read Matthew 15 and 16 because 15 and 16 will actually give you a little bit more insight into this particular account. All right? Now, let's start with a little bit of a background. We have seen in the Bible project, uh, through the video, for those of you who have not seen it, essentially when Mark wrote chapter 1 to 8, he was essentially asking, the, he was answering the question, who is Jesus? So, when we look at whatever that Jesus has done, when we look at all the miracles that he has done, he has walked on water, he has cast out demons, he has healed the sick, he has made the deaf man hear, he has um, fed the 5,000, all of these miracles attest and confirm to the identity of Jesus. It attests to the purpose of Jesus as well. So who is Jesus? Now, as we come, as we look specifically at chapter 8 itself right now, we'd just like to show you uh, the geographical region in which Jesus was ministering. Now, this is the Decapolis. De Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is made up of about 10 cities, but most of it historically is made up of more than 10 cities. But just to give you a bit of an inkling, the Decapolis actually made up of a few cities such as Damascus and Gadarenes. Now, Gadarenes was the place where Jesus took the boat across the Sea of Galilee, and when he landed, he actually was met by a man that had the... Uh, legion of demons. You recall that story, that incident? Yeah, he had that. And when he cast out the demons, the demons, he gave them permission to enter into the herd of pigs that was nearby. 
and the pigs rushed off, rushed off the cliff and went into the bank, right, into the sea. Now, if there were pigs in that region, it basically mean, meant that the people there, they ate bacon and pork knuckles. It sounds like a good idea for my lunch. So these people, generally, that area was a Gentile region. It was Hellenistic. All right? So essentially, we just want to know that when Jesus was ministering, when he was feeding the 4,000 here, along with the Syrophoenician women's account that we heard about last week, the healing of the deaf man, Jesus was in a region of what we would call pagan community. There was a mix of Jews, there was a mix of Gentiles. That's just to give us a bit of a background. All right? Now, um, it would, I'm feeling a little bit nervous, so it would be good if you would just smile a little <laughs> and give me a little bit of encouragement to say, oh, okay, I, uh, you know, like an amen or yes, I, I didn't get that. Could you say that again, you know? Kind of a thing. All right? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> now, let's look at the 4,000. Now, there are many things that we can talk about when we talk about the feeding of the 4,000. But I'd just like to zoom in on two aspects of it. When, just try to recap right now what happened in the feeding of the, of the 4,000. Now, Jesus had been with these people for three days. Now, we talk about following Jesus. For three days, we, we lament over three hours of sermon, but these guys have been with Jesus for three days. They were out of food. They were in a remote area. There were no shops nearby. They couldn't get any food. And Jesus said that he had compassion for them. And so this time around, Jesus actually then uh, uh, presented this, this uh, thought to his disciples. They presented him with the seven loaves, a few small fish. He gave thanks and he distributed them. And we know that the miracle was that everyone was satisfied. In fact, some versions of the Bible say everyone ate their fill and they collected seven large baskets worth of bread. Now, there are two aspects I want to zoom in here right now of this miracle. One, this miracle reveals who God is. Remember, Mark chapter 1 to 8 is, ask, is answering the question of who is Jesus? So it re this miracle reveals who God is. It reveals Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the Good Shepherd that King David spoke about in the book of Psalms. Now it reveals God as the Heavenly Father, the Good Heavenly Father, who provides, who protects. All right? Now, Jesus also said that he had compassion for them. So he was compassionate, he was loving, and he was certainly gracious. Now, God is sensitive. He's well aware. Well aware of what? He's both well aware of our spiritual needs and our physical needs. He doesn't say, come follow me and you'll go hungry. But interestingly, Jesus who says that he's the bread of life, he not only nourishes us spiritually, he actually provides for us as well. So let's take note of this. All right? God is not a God who is just spiritual. He's a very practical God as well. All right? Thank you. And the next thing. Now, 
we ask the question, who is God? The next thing about this miracle, it reveals how God works. In this miracle, we will see that God actually works through His disciples, through people. Now, let's take a closer look at the miracle right now. This would have been the second time that Jesus did the feeding of the thousands. The first account that we read about was the feeding of the 5,000. Now, in that instance, Jesus was teaching the, the, the 5,000 men and women and children, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, you know what? It's getting late. These people are hungry. They are tired. Send them away so that they can get food. Now, it sounds very practical, but it almost feels like there was a lack of compassion there, right? Just, just get them off. In this second instance of the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus now comes to his disciples and says, I have compassion for them. And now the disciples are getting a little bit of it, but common sense says that this place is remote. So they went to Jesus and they said, how am I going to get food? How do we get food? So these are, this is, when Mark wrote this account of the feeding of the 4,000, Mark was actually trying to reveal something that has changed in the hearts of the disciples. He was trying to reveal how the disciples were progressing in their walk with God. Now, when Jesus performed the miracle, we want to take note that the miracle happened in his hands. But he performed it and he outworked the miracle through his disciples. Why? That's a question that we want to ask. Now, Jesus, Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, was well able to turn the stones to bread. He would have been able to say, get the disciples to, to let, uh, 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 make the people sit. And guess what? Close your eyes, open your eyes. Oh, guess what? Look at all the bread that you have from those stones. That sounds a little bit like the temptation that Jesus went through, right? The first temptation, when the devil tempted Jesus after his 40 days of fasting, and says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now, Jesus, Son of God, is the same God who when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness, brought and fed the people with manna from heaven. He could have rained down manna. And we would have thought that with these two miracles, it would have sealed the identity of Jesus as Son of God and as Christ. But no. Jesus decided to do otherwise. Now, he decided at this point right now, to involve his, his, um, his disciples. And this is what i like us to just zoom in on. When Jesus involved his disciples, there were three things that were happening. Firstly, he was revealing himself to them. It was a further revelation. Remember, his disciples had been with him all this while. They have seen him walk on water. They have seen him heal paralyzed people. They have seen him... Uh, heal the deaf, the blind, cast out demons. It was a further revelation of who he is to them. Now, we want to know that 
the works that Jesus do, the miracles that Jesus do, reveals God as the Heavenly Father as well. Now, if you have your Bibles, I wouldn't have time to go through this entire passage, but you could just make note of it. In John, in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 6 to 11, Jesus actually said, If you had known me, there's Jesus, you would have also known my Father. Now, he was responding to Thomas. And he was also telling Philip, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Miracles, signs, and the wonders that Jesus did reveals who he is and it reveals God as the Heavenly Father. If we have seen Jesus, we have known him, we would know the Father. Right? Are you guys still with me? Okay. It sounds a little bit going off right now, tapering off. The second thing that Jesus was doing is this. He was showing them and modeling to them what to do. He is saying, I have compassion on them. They turn to him. So the first thing that they want, that, that Jesus is trying to get their attention is, we have to turn to God in all circumstances. Not only when we want to ask about things in the spiritual, but even things in the practical as well. We need to turn to Him and we need to depend on Him. He's the bread of life. He's our source of life. Everything comes from Him. The next thing is, he will, we will need to start also by giving Him what we have. See, some of us wait and we say, Lord, if you were to give me a million dollars, I would do this for you. Some of us would say, Lord, if only my children are just grown up and they are all serving and they are all working and I do not need to worry about them, then I will be able to serve and minister. Jeez, some of us might be able to say, God, I know you, you give us 24 hours in a day, but if I could have six hours uninterrupted in X over and above my sleep, I will be able to serve you. Jesus comes up twice in the feeding of the thousands. What do you have? Bring me what you have. Five loaves, seven loaves. Now, we want to just, um, I don't have time right now to go through the story of Elijah. Now, how many of you recall the story of Elijah and the widow um, who was actually going about to prepare the last meal for herself and for her son? And how actually Elijah had the audacity to ask this widow and say, prepare me a, um, a portion of bread with whatever that you have. You say, oh, that portion was actually meant for me and my son. We are going to eat it and we are going to die. He says, no, give it to me. We know the story. In that case, the jar of flour and the jar of oil did not run out until the famine in the land was over. This is the same God that we are talking about. The God who did that provision for that widow is the same God who is doing this provision of the feeding of the 4,000 or the thousands. 
The third point, Jesus is, was re reinforcing to his disciples what is involved. Two things, compassion. Everything has to flow from the heart of compassion and love. Otherwise, it is just a work, a job. Compassion. And the second thing, faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, if we want to walk with God, if we want to have faith in God, have a relationship with God, it takes faith. Faith means I can't see it, but I will be willing to put my trust in it. But the good news that I'm going to sneak in here is this. God never says that if I just want you to trust me blindly. Because from my own personal experience, every time we put our trust in God, every time we express our faith in God, He never fails. He never fails to answer. He never fails to confirm His word. He never fails to show up. With that, it becomes a testimony. It becomes something that it becomes solid, an experience that is solid, it's not airy-fairy, that backs my faith. Can you see the love of God in this, can, in, in this sense? He calls us to have faith, but He answers us and He confirms His word so that we can have more faith in Him. That's a loving God. That's the God that we serve. Now, I'd like us at this point to reflect. I'm just going to go through a few questions very quickly right now, just to give a quick reflection. As what Jesus did to the, for the disciples or what he demonstrated to the disciples, God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has called us Christians to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and of the kingdom of God as what Jesus did. We as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, children of God, and kingdom's agents. How are we proclaiming, revealing, and demonstrating the kingdom of God wherever we are? are we, is that reserved only for Sundays in church? Or maybe Friday nights at live group? Or is it a case that we are to reveal the kingdom of God and reveal Christ wherever we are? Just a, a, a food for thought. Now, at this point, I'd just like to just share with you one thing. The part about giving God what we have, the little that we have. When God called me into full-time ministry to serve Him, God called me at a point in time in my career that most of my peers, in fact, almost practically all of them, thought I was crazy. I had received four pay increments by then, two promotions, due for another promotion, and I was on my way up. It was finally a time for me that I could work out paying off all my debts and working up a financial cushion. And God says, it's time to serve. Now, 
I don't have time to go through all the details. It took me nearly two years to pray about it and to say, God, are you really sure? Are you kidding me? I thought that if I were to serve you, it would be good for me to be financially unfettered, to have a nice financial cushion. I mean, seriously, do we really think that the church will be able to pay as much as the bank? I mean, I'm not, I, that, that was my thoughts, my thoughts. I'm sure you don't think that way, but it's my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Lord, the first thing that will go off the charts is my salary. What about my children? Who's going to bring them up? They need to have food on the table. They need to be going to school. Who's going to pay for the education? These were all my thoughts. And it took me two years to wrestle it through. And time and again, when I went to God and I asked God, how? He just answers me by His Word. Repeatedly by His Word. It says that if He will provide if he has provided for the birds of the air, if he has clothed the lilies of the field, how will he not then provide? Now that's written in his word. I've heard testimonies of that as well. But it takes faith. I don't see it yet. But I have to walk into it. And I can share with you, there is not one day that my family and I went hungry. There was not one day that the Lord had not blessed us with more than one meal a day. In fact, some of you might think I have put on weight as well. <laughs> Seven baskets full. Now, that's just a short testimony. I need to move on. The second aspect that I need to look at today is on the yeast, leaven. When you hear of yeast and leaven, what comes to your mind? Bread. What else? Anything else? I know there are a few shy people here. The first thing that come, came to my mind was beer. <laughs> ah, that's sacrilegious. How can you say that in church? <laughs> well, we thank God for wine because he said that wine is one of the many blessings that he gave his people. Just that we should not be intoxicated. We should not abuse it. Yeast. Here are some characteristics of yeast, very quickly. Yeast is small. The rising effect comes from within. The outcome is wide-ranging and comprehensive, very thorough. And the outcome will certainly be very evident. Look at a loaf of bread and look at your unleavened bread. Very obvious. What was Jesus talking about when he spoke about leaven? If you read the book of Matthew, chapter 15, Jesus was referring, Matthew actually wrote that the disciples understood what Jesus meant as leaven. He wasn't referring to bread. He was referring to the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's in the book of Matthew. Here we are just going to be talking very briefly, very quickly on the teaching. What is this teaching? It is important for us to examine what are our doctrines, what are our th teaching, because the teaching that we subscribe to shapes our beliefs. And that actually it affects us from within. It shapes our heart. 
it shapes the way we view the world, the, way we, the lens through which we see the world and we interpret things, our beliefs. So, very quickly, the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, religiosity. Now, we know some of the words that people would use is they are highly religious people, very legalistic, traditionalist. Now, essentially, when Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, he was saying, guys, you fast over the washing of hands. You clean the outside, but on the inside, there's just so much grub in there. Greed, covetousness. The Pharisees were the ones that say, we need to observe the Sabbath. And they were the ones that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you healed this man on the Sabbath. You broke the Sabbath. The Pharisees were also the ones that Jesus said that they love preeminence amongst men. When they walked into the synagogues, when they walked in the streets, they loved the best seats. They love it when people look at them and say, Oh, Rabbi, preeminence. There was the emphasis of the form, the outward appearance over the heart. They were looking on the outside. Now, the Pharisees originally started off as people. Now, Andrew would have covered this two weeks ago. They originally started off as people who wanted to get the Jews back to the law of God, back to a place of righteousness. They started interpreting the laws and putting in traditions and the to-dos and, and what not to do so that it should help people to get righteous before God. The problem is, along the way, they started emphasizing on these traditions and eventually it became a case where their righteousness became a works-based righteousness. Religiosity. Now, when we look at Herod, the leaven of Herod, Herod almost seems to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. We are talking about worldliness. We are talking about secularism. We are talking about sensuality, the five senses, indulgence. We know about King Herod, right? I won't go too much into that. But essentially, King Herod was focused on political might, social structures, hierarchy. And when you talk about the Sadducees in the book of Matthew, you're talking about these guys are the ones that hold the positions in the temple as the high priest. They hold all the priestly positions, the high positions in the temple of God. But as what probably Paul, Apostle Paul would say, having a form of godliness but denying its power. It was just all to serve their purpose, their desires, their needs. So in both the leaven or the yeast of, of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, they have common points actually. And the common point is this. Is this there is a focus on self. Me. I. What can I get out of this? What can I benefit from this? The focus was not on the sufficiency of Christ. 
or God or Jesus. The focus was on self. When we look at them, the reason why they could not accept that Jesus is King and Jesus is Messiah is because Jesus did not fit into their construct. Their idea of what is a king or their idea of what is a messiah. And as a result of that, because of this unbelief that's within their hearts, they rejected him. Now, if they rejected Jesus, they would not have known the Father as well. Alright? Let's do a quick recap. We have the feeding of the 4,000 that we spoke about earlier. Okay? The feeding of the 4,000 represents the works of God, the fingerprints of God, fingerprints that reveal who He is, fingerprints that reveal how He moves, how He works. We have the Pharisees that represent the religiosity, the religious system, and we have Herod that represents worldliness, sensuality, the here and the now. Today, each of us are actually faced with these three aspects. Would you believe it or not? The fact that we are sitting here today is already a testimony of the work of God in our lives. God has always been, from the beginning of time, desirous of revealing Himself to us. God has always been about redeeming mankind or human, humankind. God has always been about communicating to us that his, communicating His desire to restore His kingdom. His kingdom. The way that He has originally intended it to be. God has left fingerprints in our lives. Yet, we are also bombarded by the religious system where we say, this is what Christianity looks like. You have to pray at least one hour a day. You have to read the at least five chapters a day. When you come to church on Sunday, you have to dress in a certain way, you have to walk in a certain way, you can only smile in a certain way. And anything outside of that is just irreverent. What are the traditions that we are holding on to today? What are the commandments of men that has evolved over time that we hold on to in so tightly that it starts to usurp the position of God? That it, it goes behind the spirit and the heart of God's law and of His intended message? Or are we on the other end where we say, you know what, it's all by grace. We are saved by grace. I can live the way I live. God will forgive. Sensuality. Governed by our senses. So I'd like us to just look at the next passage. There's an there's a, there's a emphasis that I'd like to, us to have. On, in Mark chapter 8, verse 14 to 21. Mark 8, 14 to 21, we would see 
Now they have forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. He cautioned them, said, Watch out and beware of the leaven of Pharisees, leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another. Now, this is the one that I would like us to pay attention to. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear, do you not remember? Now, at this point, I'd like us to just pause. How does this apply to me? Do you not understand? Do you not perceive? Having eyes do you not see, having ears do you not hear? Do you not understand? Now, as we look at the uh, next one, I'd like us to think about, about just two main questions. Yeah. Has God been revealing Himself to us? Has God been trying to get hold of our attention? Have we been recognizing His fingerprints, His voice, His promptings, His proddings? The works that God has done in our life, if we to think back of our journey today, Think again, where we are right now, have God been showing us and revealing who He is to us? I'd like to borrow this quote from this person called Royce Gordon Grendler. I picked this off one of the commentaries that I was reading. And he says this, Royce says this, Faith perceives it. Unbelief rejects it. Remember, we covered earlier what is involved. What is it that's involved in our walk with God, in our ministry? Faith. When we look at the, the works that God has done in our life, how are we interpreting those works? Are we saying, oh yeah, it just happened by coincidence. So and so was there. This thing happened, that thing happened, the stars lined up, it happened. Are we saying that the job that we got, oh yeah, that was because I had great interview skills. Are we saying that the house that we got, oh, that's because that poor guy needed to do a fire sale and I got a good bargain. But think about it. The fact that we walk out of our doors every morning and that we go through one whole entire day of activities and we come back through the same door in the evening. And if you have a family, the fact that each of our family members go their separate ways and they all come back in the evening and we share a meal together. Is that the work of God. So, I'd like us now to just, to, if you'd like to, just close your eyes. I'd like us to just ponder over these right now very quickly. Please close your eyes and ponder 
Don't meditate to the point that you start venturing into heaven's land. Just ponder. The question I'd like to ask, to ask is this. Before we start doing things, before we go about doing our ministry, before we start carrying on with our normal routine in lives, do we know Him? Do we actually know Jesus? Do we know God as our good heavenly Father? God desires to reveal Himself to us. The question is, do we have a desire to know Him? Not to know Him through our heads, through all the information and the knowledge that we have read, that we have attended, through the, through the, that we got it through the seminars and the, and the conferences and the sermons, do we know Him as in like a person in a relationship with Him? There are two groups of people that are, I'm, I'm speaking to. The first group is you may not have accepted Jesus as Lord and as Saviour as yet but you have heard about Him. You have heard about what, who He is, what He has done. You know some things about Him here and there. Do you have a desire to know Him personally in such a way that no one else can ever explain it to you? The second group of people that I'm speaking to the Christians, disciples of Jesus. If we reflect over our words, our actions, our thoughts, our plans, or the decisions that we make each day, how would you say is your relationship with the Lord today? How is our relationship with the Lord today? Have our Christian walk and ministry become mundane? Does the Word of God, the works of His miracles and healings still excite us? Does it lead us towards a deeper love for Him and compassion for people? Are we allowing God to speak to us and to reveal Himself to us daily? Are we receiving our daily bread from the very bread of life Himself? Are we spending time with God each day? I'd like us, I'm just going to read to you what the Apostle Paul wrote about his relationship with God in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul goes on to say, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection 
and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do we have a desire to know him? Whether you are in the first or second group, there are three things today if you have the desire to. And you say, God, I really want to know you more. You see, the disciples were with Jesus all this while. They have witnessed all his works. They have witnessed all his miracles. But yet, at this point in time, in the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus still asked his disciples, do you still not see? Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? We can be surrounded with, 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 with Bible scriptures. We can be surrounded with ministry. We can be attending church every Sunday. The question is, do we understand who God has called us to be? Like yeast, our words, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions, the way we live our lives is actually the outcome of our beliefs. Now, if you have a desire to know Him, I'd like to encourage you to do three things. Firstly, as what Jesus has proclaimed in His message, He always starts His message with this. Repent. We need to repent. We need to turn away from all of our ways that we know are not right. We need to repent of our unbelief, the unbelief that, has, that might have crept into our hearts. The ungodly beliefs that we have of who God is or the ungodly beliefs about Christianity. We need to turn to God and ask Jesus to reveal himself to us. And after repenting, after turning to God, we need to be in a relationship with him. And how do we do that? Spend time with him. Talk to him. That's what we call prayer. And read his word. That's how he speaks to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that was spoken. Lord, we pray that whatever that is of you, whatever words that are of you, let it sink deep into our hearts. Whatever that is not of you, just remove it, Lord, and let it, not, let it come to naught. Lord, we pray and we ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to every individual here, including mine, O Lord, and that you will reveal to us where we are. And we thank you that you are loving and that you are gracious, you are compassionate, you are merciful. And that's the very reason why we are still sitting here today. In spite of all that we have gone through, whatever that we have done, we are still sitting here today and you are still giving us 
this chance, this privilege, this blessing to be able to hear you speak to us. That we may have the chance to turn from our ways and to turn towards you, O Lord. And Lord, we pray that for everyone who turned towards you right now, that you will reveal yourself to them. Grant us, Lord, a deeper revelation of who you are. Grant us a deeper revelation of your heart. Let us encounter your love. Let us encounter your presence. Let us encounter your person in such a way, O Lord, that no one else can ever take that experience away from us. And Lord, we want to know you, Lord. So Lord, would you do only that which you can do as we now open our hearts and surrender and yield and submit ourselves to you. We ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen.